For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 705 on CJAD 800. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Josh, welcome back. It is our sixth season of Today's Entrepreneur. Hello, Dan. Yes, excellent to be back. And uh, how was your summer? Summer was absolutely awesome. Uh, didn't spend part of it in Montreal, so, you know, always when you escape, even when you're escaping to France, uh, to another French culture, which is really different than this French culture, but we won't go there right now. Uh, it, it was absolutely awesome. Only got uh, stuck uh, behind one protest during the two and a half weeks. So, you oh, know, well, hey, can't, only good. Be, can't be too bad. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk to the CEO of Beaver Tales tonight. I'm very excited about that. Of course, Canadian icon, uh, stores internationally now. Um, so Pina Di Yoya will join us, CEO of Beaver Tales. Uh, Nick Moretis also. Taxes. We're going to talk uh, taxes. We're we're going to talk. Uh, you know, not to not to be doom and gloom uh, and the first show, but uh, certainly over the summer we dealt with far too many you know deaths and estates and trusts, and there's some some crazy new laws that people got to be aware of. So we'll talk a little bit of the challenges of that and and maybe what some entrepreneurs should should be aware of. But first, usual chat about uh, some entrepreneurial news. And uh, let's begin with Frank and Oak. Uh, they've come up on the show a few times. Uh, pretty impressive success story, online business, and uh, taking a big risk and sort of going against the trends and opening up a retail location. So not retail, not going retail to online, but actually online to retail. And uh, they're going to open up a 5,200 square foot flagship store on Stanley very shortly. Um, what do you think? Is this a, a, an interesting gamble or, or, or risky? Well, well, you know, Dan, we have spoken in the past, past shows, past seasons about the online versus brick and mortar. And more often than not, it's always been the brick and mortar, the, the, the touchy feely type product that goes to sell online because that's the natural progression of or evolution of a business. Frank and Oak, uh, like a few others out there, actually started only online. There was no such thing as a brick and mortar store. Uh, but what they found out, I believe fairly quickly, is to build a brand, you have to be physically present. You have to have people that can walk in and touch and feel and, and want to talk about it based on that actual experience versus just the online world, which is so intangible for much of their consumers that it, it, it just doesn't feel right or it doesn't catch on uh, not nearly as quickly. So they actually said, you know what, to improve or enhance the brand, it was hugely important to get the brick and mortar stores to get that out there. So so they've actually been opening it. and. With the following of uh, Aritzia, a huge store that opened on St. Catherine recently, uh, soon soon there's going to be uh, the large uh, lingerie store, Victoria's Secret. It's going to be the second largest store in, I don't know if it's North America or the world, but it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an absolute monster. They're like, well, this is maybe an area that they're going to get in. So they want to drive people to their store while the women are shopping at Victoria's Secret and while some of the guys probably like to hang out there too. But that's besides the point. Hmm. They can kind of go to Frank and Oak and, and get that uh, that other side of the experience uh, because that's what it'll be. It'll be catering to people, to consumers, male consumers and other, come into the store, experience us, stay, enjoy whatever offerings they have. So that's, that's how they're going to continue to build their brand online. Just wasn't enough brick and mortar in combination 
that's the way to go. And extra perks too, I think, is what I'm seeing downtown. I think it was the Club Monaco store that I was, I was pretty impressed. They have a nice cafe there. and They really want you to sort of have the full shopping experience and be pampered and just go for, for like, a, like, a, like, a, like a few hours just to hang out almost. The, the goal, you know, again, we've spoken about this before. It's not what you have in the store. It's why are people going into it? People need a reason to go into that store. They need the why as to, okay, I'm going to go buy a product, but why am I walking in? Why am I staying? Is it because that they're they're organic? Is it because that they're you know they're they're better for the environment, or is it because I can actually enjoy my time there? I can have that latte or or biscotti or beaver tail if it so pleases them, and uh, and and stay there. And that's where I think the the Frank and I mean look Burks Burks had Burks Cafe. You know they were losing out. Uh, there was who was walking into Burks because it was so high end and people weren't spending that money. Have a Burks Cafe and you have people say okay I can come in for lunch and I'll shop around and maybe there's some reality to it. So there's absolutely these retailers that have to get creative to bring in the foot traffic because alone just their just their product might not might not do it. Canada getting a C on an innovation report card. Uh, they judge this uh, based on other co- similar countries around the world. And uh, the Conference Board of Canada um, giving uh, giving the the C report card. Uh, what do you what do you make of this? Have we have we innovated enough in the last few years in Canada? I think we were on a pretty good trend for a while. Uh, there's no, listen, the, the world is large. There's some huge technology hubs, huge innovation hubs. Uh, you know, Canada is, 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 is pretty good compared. I mean, if they were listed as, as number 16 or whatever they were, uh, it's not so bad. Have we slipped a little bit? I actually believe we have. I think there is less incentive, uh, certainly from a tax standpoint for people to do their R and D here. The, the government has just constricted those tax credits and such that they're arguing, they're fighting them, they're not giving them. So where a lot of people were coming here for those tax credits because it was a huge benefit. I mean, for every dollar they were spending in a salary, they were getting back almost 60% uh, after, even after tax because some of it's taxable. And that was a huge incentive to start up here and to grow and to, and to increase the economy. Now, it doesn't mean that Canada's dead. I mean, you look at Montreal alone. I mean, it's a pretty good gaming hub. We've got a pretty good tech hub, uh, you know, from a startup community that's it's definitely there. So now is it, how does it compare to a Silicon Valley or San Francisco? How does it compare to other major cities that probably, you know, can offer a lot more from a, a, a venture capitalist or financing aspect? Maybe not so much. And I think that's another aspect. Montreal isn't necessarily looked at as a financial hub. And if you want to innovate and you want to create product, you're going to need money for people to invest. Now, there are people here to invest, but maybe not the volume. And maybe that's one of the reasons as well. Um, let's talk about co-working space or, or, or workspace in general, because as uh, economic issues persist, people are looking for cheaper alternatives, you know, especially people that are small businesses or on their own. Um, so uh, there was a, an interesting article, The Business Case for a Co-working Environment. This is from the Financial Post. And a lot of people are, are saying that this is really the way to uh, the best way to start anyway, to, to not have that gigantic overhead when times are uncertain. Well, there's no question from a, a straight dollars and cents standpoint uh, cheaper space or temporary space uh, is definitely easier to manage going forward. I think the collaborative nature of, and I don't know if it's a generational thing uh, or if it's uh, just a, you know, it's so new and people just want to have 
you know, colleagues to bounce ideas off of just so that they can make the best of it. I think that collaborative work environment uh, is definitely something of value to whether it's startups, whether it's any business. And I, I'm sure when we speak to Pino de Yoya a little later, Beaver Tales, there's a collaborative environment there. And the company's been around since 1978. So it, it's not new. However, sharing space and making sure that it's it's kind of all coming together in a somewhat less expensive alternative uh it's just a great combination a lot of options too i mean there's notman house in yeah. montreal there are all kinds of spaces that the the borough of cotonez and dg just opened an, uh, a place themselves in cotonez so there's that um and then there there are the the breather type of working situations where you can now rent space uh, temporarily for uh, for a low cost and uh, breather is a montreal startup uh julian smith has been uh, doing pretty impressive, uh, getting pretty impressive results there. They just raised another $20 million. And this, I guess, will serve to uh, buy up locations all across North America and have these spaces where people can go in. You have the app and uh, you rent space and work there for an hour, two hours, whatever it is. And then you just go on your way. It's it's certainly a great idea. Now, it's a great idea when there's a lot of space and there's a lot of vacant space. I mean, Montreal at the moment is not necessarily at the at its peak of, uh, of great real estate uh, timing. So there's a lot of vacant space out there, certainly with a lot of buildings. So this concept is going to be awesome as long as Breather can continue to rent or lease its spaces fairly cheaply because they want to turn around to a, a lesser expensive alternative for these businesses. If you're in an, in an environment that the, although I guess they're in San Francisco as well, which is which is not a cheap location, but now you're really cramming it. The prices are going to be going up higher. So I'm actually curious to see as they develop locations and as they attract other consumers or startups or what have you, what their pricing strategy will be and how long these startups and businesses will actually be able to afford it if there is less vacancy and the rates are kind of going up. So I'm I'm very curious to see how it's all going to play out. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD 800. We'll get to our profile next. Pina Deloya of Beaver Tales, the CEO of Beaver Tales. You guys know Beaver Tales. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 720 on CJAD, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, back for a sixth season of Today's Entrepreneur. And our guest this evening, Pino Dioya, the CEO of the iconic Beaver Tales. Pino, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur. Thank you very much for having me, Dan and Josh. Great to be here. Thank you again. No problem. Uh, great to have you. And of course, everyone knows what Beaver Tales is. Uh, but just in case there are like three people out there who might not know, uh, what is Beaver Tales and, and how did you guys start? How did you come up with the idea? Well, OK, so the official definition is it's a whole wheat pastry shaped like a beaver tail that we float cook on canola oil and then top piping hot with a variety of toppings. Sounds sounds healthy already. Not actual beaver tails. Not, a, not actual beaver tails. We don't get that as much anymore, though we used to. Um, but way back when, it was, you know, it was an indulgence. It was really something fun that the founder, uh, Grant Hooker in Ottawa, and his wife, Pam, really released this as something you would have on, on your fun day. It's your, your special dessert for the, the week or the month. And uh, his daughter would always marvel that these things look like a beaver tail. She's the one that named them. In the beginning, the, the product didn't have a name. Uh, now, this, this goes way fun. back. What, what year was it founded? 1978. Yeah, the, the good old days. And then I, I became involved in 87 uh, in Montreal. The first store they ever opened outside of Ottawa was in Montreal at Six Flags, not far from, uh, well, at the time, just La Ronde. 
not far from the studios here. Now, what were you doing before? Like, how did they find you? How did you find them? I mean, it was their first franchise. It was their first store outside of Ottawa. First store. Not, yeah. not even a, a not franchise. Even, right. It was a corporate store. I did not get the job I wanted at uh, Esprit Clothing. <laughs> Uh, that I don't think exists anymore, but in any right. case, that's where I really wanted to work. And I serendipitously had received the ad. I was on student council, and I placed the ad in a student newspaper for a manager wanted for the summer. And when I didn't get my quote-unquote dream job, I, I applied for this one. Now, at what point did it go from corporate to franchising? Because today, if I understand correctly, it's only franchising. You, you There's no corporate stores out there. Correct, correct. So I would say uh, roughly four or five years into it, I'd applied uh, at McGill. I did my undergrad at McGill. Didn't think uh, they should have accepted me into the MBA program. I hope uh, they're not listening, but they did <laughs> They did accept me. I was very grateful for that. But at that point, I remember getting in the train. I didn't drive. I got on the train. I went for a meeting in Ottawa, and I said, you know what? I want to be your first franchisee. And to uh, no one was more surprised than me, frankly, but to, to my shock, they said, well, actually, our lawyer's been telling us we really should franchise to one of the young kids in one of the stores because if, if we could show that they could make it, anybody could make it. And so they financed me 90% of the purchase price, and I was a franchisee. Now, franchising is absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure franchising back in 19... 19- 94, 93, or whenever you started is a little bit different than today. So I think when we come back from the from the breakdown, let's explore a little bit the franchising then and now and uh, see what we can learn from Peter. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 725 on today's entrepreneur, Pino DeLoya. DeLoya, I'm sorry, Pino, a CEO of Beaver Tales. I've been mispronouncing names all afternoon long. <laughs> um, let's uh, the story of how you got into it and how you became a franchisee is, is so interesting. So uh, it was just starting up. You were at the Laronde location, being the manager, I guess, or assistant manager there. Obviously, a natural choice to head up uh, the next franchise uh, uh, elsewhere. Is this the kind of story that that could happen in today's business market? The fact that you just take this sort of green young uh, manager and and groom him or her to become a franchisee? I think on the franchise side, there's there's a lot of uh, pragmatic reality that drives our industry. Probably the biggest one is the reduced need for financing. So I think that the companies that can go corporate, think Starbucks, where there are no franchises, they don't need to groom managers into that role. But uh, Chipotle, on, on the other hand, they, they're also all corporate. They're not grooming people to, to go into that role. And, you know, they clearly don't need the financing. The markets are rewarding them to, to, to grow more store than, than they envision having. But they do take these green managers, as you aptly call them, and, and really groom them to end up becoming very well-paid uh, corporate store managers. That's a hybrid. We don't consider that franchising per se. Uh, but in Chipotle's world, I mean, we've heard stories, a number of stories of guys earning two, $300,000 a year. So. Now, now in, in the Beaver's ta- Beaver Tales world, you know, how does franchising work today? And how different was it when you first were the first franchisee? Well, Dan generously called me an assistant manager and a manager. <laughs> when you're alone in a store, you're kind of... You, you, yeah, exactly. You do it all. There was no uh, no stature. Um, back then, it was a simple product, and you're in an amusement park. So it really was a bit of a circus in, in a great, fun way. But we clearly didn't have the, the structures and the systems we have now, nor were we managing the uh, the far-flung locations that we now have. You know, if we look at a franchise agreement 
when you first became a franchisee and today, uh, it's got to be drastically different. It It is drastically different, but I'll tell you one of the most drastic differences we have is that today's franchise agreements are actually written in everyday language. So there, there was a point there where they got very complex and, and even some of the, the lawyers in, in the franchise world were, were trying hard to keep up. And one of the, the feedback loops there was you would go to court and lose as a franchisor because the judge would look at you and say, you phrased this in such a way that I can barely understand it. Mm-hmm. The franchisee has no chance. So now we and we redid ours, I think, about seven years ago. And, and our lawyers were very proud to say this can read for, you know, secondary three class can actually read this. It's not quite poetic. <laughs> for the, for the layman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, the, there, there was an evolution, though, because you said it was corporate stores at the beginning, and now there's there's no such thing as a corporate store under under your watch. What was that evolution, and, and why did you move away from corporate stores? Well, so in the beginning, it was more, again, just as the, as the chain evolves, the founder had his corporate stores in Ottawa, and my twin brother and my wife and myself were, were partners together. We had our stores in Montreal. And as the chain grew, we always kept our stores. But the reality of our niche, and it is a a unique niche. I mean, we are a franchise concept, but really we're a leisure food or a niche food in the fun sector. And the reality is that that's a challenging uh, environment to work in because it's it's hard enough to be in seasonal stores or seasonal contexts that are not year-round. Where where the dependency of weather or snow, if you don't have snow on a ski hill... That causes havoc with your your planning. So that's complex enough. But then when you start opening coast to coast and you have geography added to it, and it gets to a point where, you know, keep in mind our sparse populations too, it it becomes unmanageable to just have corporate stores in an environment like ours. And I know there's so much more to it because it's all, there's locations that that come into play that you have to kind of select and and maybe be a a master lessor. There's the people and you have to vet them as you you get applications every day or every week or what have you. Uh, So I, I know there's so many other aspects about franchising that maybe when we come back after the break, Dan, we'll touch a little bit on it before we move on to the other fun things like like marketing and other kind of stuff. And how great they taste. Uh, Pino de Yoya, CEO of Beaver Tales. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, beginning our uh, sixth season here on CJAD 800, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, and in studio, Pina Dioya, CEO of Beaver Tales. Um, quick question, because I, I, I do very much enjoy the dessert. Um, wh- what was, uh, I guess you started probably with a pretty small product selection. Now, I mean, you have so many, probably thousands of different combinations of flavors. Um, what, what is your favorite, and, and which Beaver Tail do you think? Uh, was did you ever have to reject an idea because it was too weird or too too out there? The flavor flop. Wait till we <laughs> yes. get to that. <laughs> yeah, my my favorite one is the chocolate hazelnut. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer it plain, but a lot of people like it with banana or Reese's Pieces. Uh, and chocolate is probably our number one at this point. The three chocolate flavors combined outsell our three cinnamon sugar flavors combined. So again, clearly an indulgence of sorts. And interesting, you you ask your favorite flavor at the office. We don't have uh, titles, and we don't we don't really put uh, anything on our business card except the year we first had a beaver tail and the favorite one, which is not always the same one. Mm. And as I stare at your card, Pino, I see it's that chocolate hazelnut one. Yeah. So you mean everybody in the office has a different flavor? Well, maybe have a different flavor. Yeah, and I some see. remember, you know, the first one I had was definitely a maple, and it's still my favorite. 
whereas others aren't really sure what that first magical moment was. So once we're on flavors, what about a flop? I mean, have there have there been? I mean, and people must kind of give ideas all the time. So is there something that you thought would have been great that just absolutely what just kind of hit the carpet and that was it? Well, my, my team at the office has a great time doing this on a regular basis, and, and we have taste tests more often than we care to admit. Uh, so it's, we, it's there's un- volunteer. You have two volunteers right Absolutely. here. Absolutely, we're we're a specialist in R and D when it comes to fried. And Excellent. we're ve- we're very objective. We <laughs> yes, assure you. I'm sure. So we we've uh, we're on a constant evolutionary tear to, to come up with new flavors, and we just introduced our um, this summer the s'mores, which is still running, and the maple bacon, two great flavors. Um, but we we did have a flop uh, back in I forget the year. It was the year of our 25th, so uh, 2000. Uh, three, mm-hmm. and we thought we'd release something uh, really Canadian, which was our Voyageur tail, which is a really pure maple syrupy tail, whereas now it's more like a maple butter that we use. Mm-hmm. And we also thought because people were talking about that health word, why don't we do a peaches and cream? And it was actually organic peaches and real whipped cream, and it was absolutely delicious. Uh, unfortunately, and, and I think it's a bit of a nod to the kinds of clients we get when you're in a beaver tails, it's magic. Uh, you suspend your normal everyday habits mm-hmm. and you're there to treat yourself. And even though peaches and cream is fairly indulgent, it's, it's not as over the top as a beaver tail should be. And that was the only time that sadly we wanted to actually, we, we were trying to get this product to, to homeless shelters or to food banks mm-hmm. before it expired, and we couldn't. It, it just literally didn't move. It never. We filled the pipeline and never reordered, and, and we had to throw it away. So that was a sad flop. Now, ideas today, they come from your internal team, or is this like sometimes you have a marketing uh, spin on it? And, and uh, we try got, and get yeah, some... yeah. The, the ladies in marketing are uh, very uh, excitable and they do all kinds of fun research, and we get stuff from social media, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. So I, I usually end up spilling ideas I'm not supposed to spill. So I'm, I'm going to try not to mention any of the flavors up and coming, but I know we tasted a few last week. Mm. Um, not that pumpkin and spice would have been one of them, but that could be a good idea. And yes, it was one. <laughs> I was going to say, it's that season. <laughs> there you it go. Is. Yeah, exactly. he's, he's a steel trap. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, uh, now when, when you're, once we're on the kind of the topic of marketing, you know, you mentioned social media. Uh, you've been in this game uh, since the late 80s. Uh, marketing then, marketing now, it is completely different. Uh, how has it changed? Uh, what kind of maybe worked or didn't work over the years? Over the years, consistently what has worked is, is our taste. And, and I say that humbly because I didn't start the company. It's not my recipe. So really with all humility and, and a nod to the founders, uh, the recipe is, is magical. And people really speak about Beaver Tail's way. That has always been forefront. And we have a whole variety of additional products now. We've got great uh, gelatos and smoothies and hot chocolates. Really everything for your indulgence uh, desires, or at least on the food side. But having said that, really... It, it comes down to the flagship product. People know us for beaver tails. They talk about beaver tails. They come for the beaver tails. But social media is the technology that allowed us to uh, promote the reality of our indulgence. And I would imagine location plays a big role as well. I mean, your the locations where where you are have also got to be magical locations. I'm sure it's in the Tromblons of the world or the Whistlers of the world. How much does that play into your... That's a very good point, Josh. And you're right. I should have actually mentioned that. Because how can you not have a positive memory of a nice, warm, fluffy, flaky pastry on Rideau Canal or overlooking Grouse Mountain in Vancouver or the, the Atlantic Ocean over in Newfoundland. I mean, we have some spectacular locations. We're lucky that way. 
then we become part of the memories. And in fact, in the office, we sometimes say we, we, we sell pastries, but we really fabricate memorable moments. Uh, tell me about the, the Muzu brand. Is this another company that you guys joined with, or is this your creation? This is, the I guess, the frozen yogurt smoothie brand that goes into some of your stores? That's right. So when my twin brother, Anthony, and my wife, Tina, and myself, before we, we bought the company, we used to be master franchisors for the province of Quebec, and we started this separate brand called Muzu. Since acquiring the majority of the Beaver Tales brand in 2009, it just made sense to have them together because some products just fit well together. Um, so Tim Hortons and Coldstone didn't work well together because where you buy your coffee on the way to work is not necessarily where you're going to bring your kids for an indulgent ice cream. Needless to say, Beaver mm-hmm. Tails and indulgent ice cream, it's, it's a one of a kind. And of course, you could have one on top of the other. You can have our delicious gelato on our Beaver Tail or Beaver Bites. Now, there's, there's of course, the phenomenon of the food truck. Now, Beaver Tails, uh, there's no doubt that this food truck, Beaver Tails, you, you have most likely across the country. It, has this something that worked for you? Uh, what are you doing with this? Uh, we actually, how, how they have very proudly just rolled out our newest truck. We are now building brand new food trucks. I can't name any other company in Canada that's actually doing that. We probably have uh, 30 or 35 trucks, trailers, mini trailers, you name it. But these new ones, uh, it's in- interior speakers, exterior speakers, carbon monoxide detectors, uplink for the cash registers. They are magnificent. I'm, I'm not really a car guy, but to, to see these things built is just, it's magical in its own way. And they're built right here in Laval now. We're starting to, to export to the States as well. So we're becoming a truck manufacturer. I was going to say, so this is this is an offshoot business? Is this something that you're getting into, getting away from? Well, not getting away from, but adding to? I, you know, three months ago, I don't know if I would have agreed with that. But at this point, Josh, it's just we've, we've dealt with a variety of manufacturers, including big ones in the States. And as you pointed out, the craze is a craze and everybody is getting into it, but they don't all know what they're doing. And and we're really fastidious. We have a, a crew in the office that really worries about those details. And let me tell you, it it, uh, it builds a beautiful truck. We we don't have much time left, but I, I know there's franchises across the country, but you do have some international. Can you speak quickly to, to those international and, and maybe what your plans are in the future? Sure. Well, Dubai actually confirmed today that they're opening store number three. Number two is about to open and they're building store number three. Uh, we're in Saudi. We're, Japan is opening in a couple of weeks and uh, Korea is open. So uh, I, I have three uh, children that my wife and I adopted from Korea, unrelated to our store, but that, that's mm-hmm. a, a particularly magical for us to be in, in Korea. And internationally, I think anywhere that celebrates the Canadian, the Canadiana that we are, uh, we often tell the story that Roots, you know, they don't have so many stores in Canada, but they have 300 points of sale in Taiwan. So maybe there's a, an uh, urge, a, a craving out there. And, and, and you know, Dan, we're, we're kind of running out of time with Pino, but it, it's such an amazing story. And uh, maybe as, as he expands worldwide, uh, he'll come back for, uh, for another show just to share the the outside of Canada experience and not just the inside of Canada experience. Love Thank to. you so much, Pino. Thank you. Pino DiOia, CEO of Beaver Tales. He'll hang around and we'll talk to Nick Moretis, tax partner at Full Orlando, coming up next. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, estates, planning, kind of some of the challenges that entrepreneurs should think about when they're preparing for their entrepreneurial structure. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you on today's Entrepreneur. Our guests this evening, Pino Dioya, CEO of Beaver Tales. And we also bring into the conversation Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau. And uh, Josh, uh, you guys dealt with some uh, some serious estate issues and stuff like that. And there's some new rules that you'd like to catch, uh, catch uh, us y- up on. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, you know, we had such a fun story with uh, with Pino and we're talking about indulgences and, uh, and making memories, selling memories. Well, unfortunately, those memories at some point have to come to an end. Uh, but you got to make the most of it. So naturally, you know, their their wills. You just you got to make them. You got to deal with them. Uh, I know. I, I recently finished mine. Uh, although I shouldn't say that out loud because now I'm going to have family members asking me about it. Uh, but uh, but we really got to deal with them. There have definitely be some change. There are definitely some changes in the laws, and some some challenges and knowledge that the entrepreneurs have to have. So uh, and Nick is just waiting to jump in, not with his. For death story, but for the positive side, the positive spin. And uh, Nick, what would be the first thing you'd like to say when we're talking about wills? Unfortunately, listening to Pino tonight, I got hungry, so my script might be a little bit off. Uh, <laughs> but we do. Uh, there's been some uh, large and major changes that came out of the last federal budget that affects uh, estates uh, starting next year in 2016, which really. Um, uh, for most, for most of us, probably nothing has really changed. Um, if you're the, the say the typical, I'll use me as an example, where you're leaving everything to your spouse, spouse back to you, and if neither one of you are alive, it goes to your kids. It, there may not be any need to go through your will, uh, but uh, for those who have a more complicated will, it's a, it's a, you, you should be ringing up your advisors and going through the will and to bring in what these changes have impacted. What what are maybe the the top one or two changes in yeah, there? Yeah, the the core ones is um, in a lot of the tax planning is uh, the creation of trusts in the will. So uh, rather than leave everything to my spouse, I might leave everything to a trust for my spouse so she can get the income of, uh, during her lifetime. And on her death, it goes to my children, say. Um, well, that's now been targeted and some of the tax advantages to those type of trusts are, are been removed. Same if I was leaving uh, in my will, I leave things in trust for my kids and on, on the hitting at age 40, 45, then, then they can get the property. Same issues on there. Um, where it really becomes uh, critical is in uh, when it's your uh, spouse number two, and you have uh, children from family number one, and uh, the, some of the way the work the the law is now read, um, the uh, where you sort of expect the the um, the tax when the of last of the spouses to pass away to come out of your estate, you the the first person who passed away, it's really coming out of the estate now of the second spouse. And if there's children from the second spouse who are sitting there waiting for mom and dad to go so they can get their share, well, lo and behold, their share is paying for the taxes of the the stepfather, the stepmother. So this is something that requires absolutely that you call up your advisor. And if you're into that situation and start revisiting your will. So government's getting more money and their money sooner. And it's sooner, and it's in, in a way that doesn't make sense financially nor legally either. And, and I think that there's been some commentary they may come back to revisit. Well, but the go- this gov- is something. Government always likes to change their mind depending on the politicians and who's, you know, who's coming up for, oh, for election. But uh, we'll get there. When we come back from the break, we'll chat a little bit uh, more about that. 
And as well, we'll look to Pino Duyoya of Beaver Tales and ask him for his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Remaining moments of today's entrepreneur, Pino Duyoya of CEO of Beaver Tales, will have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in just moments. Uh, Nick Moretis first, Josh, on uh, on some new rules for wills and estates. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunately not super exciting, but it is super important because if you don't make certain changes, uh, just you know, government's going to get their claws on your on your funds uh, more so and faster. Oh, and th- and that's exactly what the message is tonight. Really, it's not for you to remember what I said. Is just the one thing to remember is to see your advisor. Um, but they're what what they're basically trying to do is remove a an advantage that was for more perhaps more wealthier estates where uh, estates would usually pay uh, a graduated rate of tax. On the first dollar, you would pay you know, 30 cents on the dollar, and on the 100,000th dollar, you'd be paying 50. Well, now they've removed that, and they've given the states, you've got three years to have this enjoyment of uh, these graduated rates, and after that, you're going to be taxed at 50%. Um, and that causes issues. Um, now, for those who have children who are disabled, mm-hmm. um, they are providing that this, uh, the, this tax benefit will continue for trusts that are set up on death for children with disabilities. So, but there's formalities that you have to follow, which if you don't follow, you lose, and the trust becomes 50%. So that, I think, again, is why you have someone has to sit down and go through all this and maybe make modifications to the will or put in an action plan uh, as to what will have to happen should something, should some event occur. And formalities that you better make sure are, are really done each year. That, that's right. And there's certain elections, uh, government uh, tax system loves elections that we choose to, we choose to do this, we choose to do that, that if you fail to do that choice uh, that you're allowed to use, uh, well, then too bad. Uh, we're we're going to now use the default, and the default is pay 50% tax. So that's where that, speak to your advisors. If you if you have a will that is not a simple, basic will, I leave everything to spouse, spouse to me, and off to the kids uh, to, to revisit this. And, and I know we, we can't do this topic justice in just a short and period of time. No, you can't. So, uh, so but thank you very much. Uh, Nick, it was uh, very informative that, of course, go see your advisor and go fix your will, <laughs> essentially, at the end of the day. As we approach the last moment of the show, as we have done for six seasons now, Dan, we'll turn to Pino and say, Pino, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Well, okay, I'll be quick about it. My dad is is uh, one of my greatest inspirations. He's a, a very successful business individual, and I remember when I was a kid, he said to me, you know, try not to be too different. And my dad has given me wonderful advice my whole life. I don't think that was the right one. I think in today's crowded world, hate to tell the kids out there not to listen to their parents, but be bold, be different. You've got to stand out. Don't be afraid to take those risks. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Kids I'm, I'm sure listen. he forgives you. I'm sure he forgives you. Thank you very much, uh, Dan. Great first show of the season. Uh, and I think my quick takeaway is Pino and his team sounds like you're having a lot of fun. And if you're not having fun at what you do, there's no way you're going to make a great success out of it. Pino Dioya, CEO of Beaver Tales. Uh, amazing. Thanks, Pino, for dropping by today. Thank you. Thanks to Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau. Back next week, Josh, Monday night at 7 on here on CJAD 800.